Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Back in 2015, the Broadway musical Hamilton debuted. Uh, it was wildly popular because of the music and the cast, and it has netted up to date roughly $650 million. It's one of the highest grossing Broadway musicals of all time. It was uh, made into a movie, and it was this age-old story that sort of recaptured us a few years ago. The, the story is of a conflict between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. This may surprise you, but the conflict was birthed in politics. They were on different sides of the political aisle, and they went back and forth in debates with one another and campaigned for people that were running against the other, and the tensions grew. And in the midst of one of their conversations, Alexander Hamilton made a comment to Aaron Burr that assaulted his honor, and Burr demanded an apology. Alexander Hamilton refused, and so Aaron Burr did what you do. When someone assaults your honor and refuses to apologize, he challenged him to a duel. So they met on a cliffside in New Jersey for a duel. And the story goes that Alexander Hamilton fired off the first shot and it went just above Aaron Burr's head. And then Aaron Burr responded and fired back and hit Alexander Hamilton in the stomach. And he died the next day at his home. Aren't you glad that we've progressed from there? I mean, aren't you glad that we no longer try to kill our political opponents or those with whom we may disagree? <laughs> or, or have we? Have we progressed all that much? I mean, in the last few years, we have seen the rise of, of call-out culture, of outrage culture, of cancel culture. I mean, just in the last sort of recent memory, we've seen things attempted to be canceled like Major League Baseball, Colin Kaepernick, Dr. Seuss, Starbucks, J.K. Rowling, NASCAR, New York Times editor Abin Rubenstein, Goya Foods, and we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? And this isn't just coming from one side of the aisle or the other. This is truly a bipartisan strategy. It's happening all over the place. In their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, authors Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff pointed out that there's a new movement going on in our day, in our time, even in scholarly and academic circles that's called redaction. And here's the way it goes. If somebody does a study or writes an article that you disagree with, you call them to redact it. Uh, just imagine yourself on the playground and somebody makes a comment that you don't like and you tell them, take it back. That's essentially what's going on in many academic circles in our day, in our time. What used to happen was somebody wrote a rebuttal. No, no, here's where you're off. Here's where you got the story wrong. Here's where your research is flawed. Now we just simply say, take it back. Take it back because we are offended and it seems like the angrier and the louder the person gets about an issue, the more likely people are to acquiesce. That's sort of the cultural moment that we live in. 
I think it was Dr. John Perkins who captured it so well, a leader in the civil rights movement and a leader in the church. He said this, this generation is the first to turn hate into an asset. See, we may not be calling for duels on the cliff's edge anymore, but we are still shooting off our bullets, aren't we? And the church is not exempt from this, friends. We have jumped into this way of doing things, and we've done that, I would argue, for far too long. I'm reading a biography about the great pastor and theologian Eugene Peterson. And in it, he reflected on his um, conversation that he had with a debated theological figure in his day, whose name was Harry Emerson Fosdick. And the way that he processed through this conversation really struck me. Here's what he said. He said, I think Fosdick was quite wrong in some of his conclusions, but I also think we were even worse in our vilification. And I was sort of taken aback to think about how do I interact with people inside the church with whom I disagree? See, there's a way to honor people's humanity, and then there's a way to cancel people. There's a way to walk with people, and then there's a way to cast people aside and to write people off. But I was struck by this. As I was studying the text we're going to jump into in just a moment, I was struck by the reality that growth requires change. Growth requires change. Now, those of you who have young kids, you are aware of that. They are growing constantly, which means that they are changing constantly, right? I mean, there's some times I put my kids to bed at night and I wake them up in the morning and it seems like they've grown an inch, right? Is anybody with me, right? Yeah, that, and they are continually growing, which means they are continually what? Changing, they're continually changing. But the same is true for us as adults, friends, that in order to grow, we have to change. I mean, think about it. In order to grow, we have to learn something new, think about something differently, or have an experience that causes us to look at something afresh. Now, please hear me. Please hear me. I am in no way suggesting that you should agree with everyone or with everything that you read. Did everybody hear that? In fact, that would be impossible. Okay? You would have to read in a very small vacuum in order to do that. But sometimes, sometimes... Listening to someone with whom you disagree will mean that you become even more solidified in your views and your convictions, which is in and of itself change. It's growing. It's being strengthened. So if growth requires change, if you are unwilling to change, you're unable to grow. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up there. I don't want to cancel the growth that Jesus wants to bring into my life. But I think you might agree that it's sometimes challenging to figure out, okay, Lord, how do I need to change? And what do I need to change? And what are you calling me to let go of? And what are you inviting me to embrace? Because I don't want to cancel the growth that Jesus wants to bring into my life, but I'm also unwilling to let go of truth. Who's with me? So, how do we know? How do we know? I want to invite you to open to Acts chapter 15. 
And here's some good news for you. Some of the greatest movements in church history have been born out of sharp disagreements. And today, we're going to look at one of those that's recorded for us in the scriptures. Acts chapter 15. As you're turning there, I just want you to imagine that this is roughly 20 years after Pentecost. So it's 20 years after the church was formed. So they've had time to start to develop some customs. They've developed a theological conviction. They've developed a way of doing things, tradition, if you will. It would maybe short-lived in the grand scheme, but 20 years is definitely enough time to sort of say, this is how we do things. And in Acts chapter 15, we're going to read about an inciting incident that forces them to start to rethink some of their convictions. Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. But some men came down from Judea, and they came down to Antioch, and were teaching the brothers. Here's what they're teaching them. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So can we all agree? This is a fairly significant issue that they are discussing. Yes? They're not talking about the color of the carpet. And they are not talking about whether or not you should be allowed to have cup holders in the backs of seats. They're talking about what is required for salvation. And so the church in Antioch says, let's send Paul and Barnabas. Let's send them 300 miles to the church in Jerusalem. Let's get a bunch of leaders together in the same place. And let's talk about it. And here was the opening argument of the Jerusalem council. The first thing that was said when the floor was opened. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they rose up and they said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So, here's what they're saying. The Gentile believers who aren't circumcised because they're not Jewish, in order to be a part of the church, you have to perform that surgery. That's an interesting membership class. That, right? And, oh, not only that, not only that, but they have to keep or obey the law of Moses. So the first five books of the Bible, they have to keep the commandments that are listed there. It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? They said it with much conviction. These are no small issues. I I mean, think of all that's converging in this debate that's happening on the floor of the Jerusalem Council. I mean, you have theological questions being asked. What does a person have to do to be a follower of Jesus? Some would argue that is the biggest theological question that you could ask. It's on the table for them. They're asking, who's a part of our community? Who's a part of the church? How big and how wide is our circle? And how do you get in and how do you stay in? I mean, they're asking questions about their history. Have we been doing things right? Are we on the right track? Or do we need to change the way that we've been operating? And then I'm sure, I'm sure there had to be somebody who stood up on the council floor and said, have you heard about the slippery slope argument? If we let go, of circumcision and, well, the Old Testament, 
what are we holding on to? If we let go of that, we've let go of everything. These are huge questions. Huge questions. And here's what we're going to see through the story of the Jerusalem Council. That an openness to God's direction requires a willingness for interruption. An openness to God's direction requires a willingness for interruption. That God, if God is going to truly lead us, we have to be willing to go to some places that we may not choose on our own. And see, interruption comes in a variety of different ways, doesn't it? It can come from a diagnosis from a doctor. It can come through a painful situation that comes your way that you didn't choose. It can come through an opportunity that's presented to you. An interruption is going to come for the church at large in Acts chapter 15. They're challenged to rethink what they consider and what they believe to be true about how somebody becomes a follower of Jesus and then how they live in light of that reality moving on from there. So we're in this series, Not So New, Not So Normal. And I would argue that what's normal is that when we have deeply held convictions and people disagree with us, outrage, cancel, call out, like that's normal in our cultural moment. And what's normal is sort of digging our heels in and going, no way. I'm not even going to listen to somebody who disagrees with me. What's not so new and not so normal is coming to the table with people, having a conversation, learning, growing, maybe, maybe, maybe changing. Let me show you what that looks like in Acts chapter 15, because I don't just want to say that. I want to teach you what did this look like for the early church, because there was a process that they went through. They didn't just go, well, it seems like God might be leading here. This is where we should go. There are some things that they did that you and I can do as well when we have a decision we have to make, when we're wrestling with something, when there's a new idea or new out there, a process that we can walk through just like they did that will help us know, God, how are you leading us? So listen to the way that this council played out. Verse 6 says this. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Stop there. So Peter stands up and he says, you you guys have heard the stories about what God's been doing. You know how when I've been preaching to the Gentiles, they're coming to faith in Jesus And God is meeting them and God is cleansing their heart and God is doing a great work. I think what Peter's subtly saying is it's not enough to go back to Moses. We actually need to go back further than Moses. We need to go back to Abraham who found out that justification comes by what? Anybody know? Faith. By faith. And he goes, God is doing a great work. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. That's quite a statement. 
He looks around and he goes, hey, anybody want to say they've kept the law perfectly? Anyone want to claim they've stuck that dismount? And he goes, I'll wait. No? Okay, well then, why are we requiring that for salvation for them also? Then verse 11, here's what he says. But we believe that we will be saved. See, that's what they're discussing. Saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. I love that this is what Peter says in response to, no, they've got to keep the law. And no, they've got to be circumcised. Essentially what he says is, open your eyes. Look around. You can try to hold on to that, but God is doing a new thing. He is on the move. And if we're going to be people that follow the lead of the Lord, we have got to recognize God's activity. We've got to recognize God's activity and be willing to respond to it. Traditionally, the church has called this discernment. And in the process of discernment, both individually and corporately, we need to ask this question, God, what are you doing? And God, how are you at work? See, I don't know about you, but so much of the time I ask the question, how can I make this thing happen? How can I force this thing to happen? And how can I take things into my own hands and just move the ball down the field? And in so many ways, I view the spiritual life oftentimes like a, like a motorboat that I put gasoline in and turn on and just start going and asking God to bless where my going happens to lead. Anybody with me? God, here's the plan. If you could bless it, that'd be great. But I would argue that following the lead of the Lord is a lot more like a sailboat than it is like a motorboat. It's putting the sails up of faith and saying, Jesus, where are you leading? And Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus, how can I follow after you? Because God's will, friends, follows God's work. God's will follows God's work. I'm reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Their feathers were ruffled because there were things going on that they weren't involved in. They had this perspective, well, Jesus, if if you're going to be at work, we've probably got to be a part of it. And so John came to Jesus and said, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not following us. Just a quick time out. I'm just wondering what they expect the response to be. You know, like, do they expect Jesus to say, well, good, because I want more demons and people, right? Like, no, I mean, but they're really wrestling with this, right? This all centers on us and it's not happening with us. It must be wrong. But Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Here's what they're wrestling with. Our experiences and our expectations don't line up with the way God's working. What do we do with that? 
And Peter at the Jerusalem Council says, step back far enough to see the contours of the way that the Spirit is at work and then be willing to respond. So you might today ask yourself the question, God, how are you working in my life? God, what story are you writing in my life? And how can I step in to be responsive to the way that your spirit is blowing? It might not be according to my expectations and it might not be according to all of my experiences. But God, how are you at work? Maybe an opportunity that he brings in front of you. An invitation that's given to you. God, what are you doing and how can we get on board? Here's the second thing that they do. Verse 13. It says, and after speaking, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and that all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known of old. I love this line. With this, the prophets agree. Like they didn't say that exactly this type of a thing was going to happen, but it's the promise and the pattern that the disciples are seeing, and they're going, this, this aligns with Scripture. This aligns with scripture. He quotes from Amos chapter 9. But here's the question. Here's the question. And some of you are ahead of me and you're going, here's the question you're asking. Yeah, but Ryan, which scripture should we align with? Because you're not saying that we should align with all of them, are we? I mean, because some of you, you know, you've read through the Bible, you're doing the Bible in a year plan and you're going... Ooh, align with all of it? I mean, there's some things in there, like Exodus chapter 21, verse 17, that says, if a child curses their parent, they should be put to death. (laughs) Align with scripture. Um, (laughs) Numbers chapter five says that if a woman is suspected of adultery, she's to drink dirty water, and if her belly swells up, she's guilty and should be put to death. Leviticus chapter 19 says, do not wear clothes made of more than one fabric. So here's what I want you to do. Just reach over to the person who's sitting in front of you. Introduce yourself first. It could be awkward if you don't, but just see if they're breaking the law. Leviticus chapter 11 says that eating pork slash bacon is wrong. And I know there's some of you that were like, I'm with you up until the bacon part. Like that... That's taking it a little bit too far. No, I, I mean, this is a, we have to wrestle with this, you guys. The rest of the world is looking at us going, you really want to align with all of scripture? And then some Christians will say, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. The Bible says a lot of things that we don't do. And I don't want to encourage you to do some of those things that we've just talked about. So how do we decide? What's our grid? See, the council, the Jerusalem council that met, they sort of, they, they sensed the contours of the way that God was leading through prophecy. And they said, God, this is in line with the way that you are at work. But they weren't applying it directly. They're not saying, we've got to go to the law of Moses and we're going to do exactly what it says to do. 
The church, I would argue, was practicing what Wayne Gretzky would years and years later say. Here's what he said. I skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where it has been. They're going, we're, we're, God, you're leading us forward. And we want to honor the story that we're a part of. We want to honor your way and your heart. What are you asking us uniquely to do? Which brings us back to this question. How do we know? What do we align with? Which commands do we say we've got to follow that one? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a grid, actually. He addresses this because I think they saw it as a tension that they needed to give instruction on. And listen to what he said in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. He says, Oh, no one anything except to what? Love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled filled the law. Oh, I hope you feel the weightiness of that. Whoever loves has fulfilled the law for the commandments. And by the way, he's going to talk about not just some like incidental commandments or like, oh, you can find this if you dig really, really deep and read between the lines. He's going to quote the 10 commandments. Top 10 for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And then he goes, okay, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, the early disciples were convinced that the intent of the entire law was to shape them into people of love, of love. That they would do two things. That they would love God and that they would love other people. According to Jesus, those are the greatest commands. And I just want to encourage us today, never break the greatest commands to keep a secondary command. Never break the greatest command. Love God and love people to keep a secondary command. So a few questions we might start to ask is, Gosh, if I do this thing, if I go this direction, if I say this thing, does it honor the dignity of people? Because God's commanded me to love people. And we might ask the question, can I love God and love people and step into this relationship and do this thing? Can, can I make this move and love God and love people even better than I am now? Is, is it spreading the net of God's love wider and wider and wider? See, friends, I'm convinced that Jesus hates it when we use his word to live in a way that goes contrary to his heart. So what does it look like to say, we'll never break the greatest commandments to keep a secondary one? Here's the third thing that they do. So the first is they seek to um, align themselves, or second, they seek to align themselves with Scripture. The first is that they recognize the way that God is active and working. And then sort of look back through this with me. In Acts chapter 15, verse 2, it said that they had no small dissension and debate. I mean, do you, ten- do you sense the temperature rising a bit? A- Acts, verse 15, or Acts 7, 15, verse 7, they had much debate. In verse 6, it said that they considered. In 15.9, it says that they made judgments about what God was doing and what they should do in response to it. I mean, if you get the sense that the situation was a little bit contentious, 
you're reading it correctly. It was. However, towards the end of it, it's just so fascinating the way that the plan lands, plan, plan lands, plain lands in the Jerusalem Council. It says this, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord. Debate, dissension, consideration, judgments, conversation, and then a miracle. They all come to the place where they go, really seems like that's what God is doing. But here's what they did, you guys. Don't miss this. And in our sort of lone ranger culture, we are so averse to saying to other people, you might see something that I don't see. You might have a view on this that I haven't looked at. But here's what they do. They seek wise counsel. And I'm convinced that the future of the church rests on our ability to engage and debate differing opinions and different views without demonizing people and without casting stones. Please hear me. It doesn't mean we're going to agree with everyone. Please don't. But it means that we're going to honor everyone. And it means we're going to listen. It requires that we're informed and willing to share our opinion. It requires that we're patient and willing to listen to the opposing views. And it, re- it demands that we are humble and willing to change our mind if at some point we're off. Or maybe somebody nudges us in a direction we didn't think about going. It's interesting because they come to one accord, but really, if you were to ask the Jewish believers who were present at the Jerusalem Council, my guess is they would tell you, and we sort of wanted to hold on to circumcision. The law of Moses. Those things are really important to us. And as we're going to find out in just a few moments, some of the guidelines that the council gives are about dietary restrictions. And I'm guessing some of the Gentiles were going, gosh, I really would have liked to have kept eating that. But they come to a compromise. They, they, for the greater good, they say, we're going to move forward together. They accommodate their brothers and sisters in love. This is one of the things that I love about life groups. It's one of the things that I love about calling a church to be in it together, in community, so that you can ask people, what do you see in my life that maybe I don't see? What do you sense God doing? Not only in the world in general, but in me. What would you do if you were me? I hope those conversations happen in the life group that you're a part of, that it's a part of gathering collective wisdom, friends, because we are always better for it. Now, you don't have to take every piece of advice that people give you. I would weigh it differently based on who gives it, based on their love for you, based on whether or not you want your life to look like theirs, right? So weigh it differently, but seek it diligently And receive it humbly. Because one of God's designs for us as a community of faith is that we would lean on each other's giftings in order to be more like Jesus and live in his way with his heart. And you know what? This may be the first time the church did this, but it's not the last time. They have a number of church councils throughout the ages. The most famous of those is the Council of Nicaea in 325 where they met 318 bishops met for two months and 12 days to wrestle with the question, is Jesus 
divine. What do we believe about the nature of Jesus? And out of it, they wrote the creed, the, the Nicene Creed. But this is the first time this happened, but it's not the last. We, it's in our bones to be a people who say to others, speak into my life and I'll do my best to receive it humbly. So here's what the council decided. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us not to lay, on you, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So here's what they are. Here's what they've come to. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. So don't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. And from blood and from what has been strangled. So those first three are all dietary restrictions. And from sexual immorality. So we've got some dietary restrictions that we want people to embrace. And we have a core sexual ethic as followers of Jesus that in order to love others, we have to live a life of holiness and purity in our sexuality. The church, just by the way, if you're wondering and if you're new, the church has not let go of that. That is foundational to who we are as a body of Believers, And here's what they say. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. (laughs) It's like, disciples, out, right? But notice what they didn't say. Notice what they didn't say. They did not say, if you keep yourselves from these, you will be saved. They've settled that. You're saved Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is not about being saved. This is about creating a community where people are honored and where people are loved. That's what this is about. This is about moving forward in unity. But they have said very clearly, salvation comes only through Jesus. Now, I've argued that this is the most important business meeting of all time. If you enjoy eating bacon in the morning, you can thank the Jerusalem Council. If you're, if you're a child in here today and you're not afraid of your parents stoning you, you can thank the Jerusalem Council, right? Praise God, right? There's a number of other laws that because of what they decided, we don't have surgery as part of our membership class. Thank you, Jerusalem Council, right? But here's what they didn't say. So this is the most important church business meeting of all time. And here's what they say. It seemed good. What? So they didn't say, we heard the audible voice of God. They didn't say, the Bible clearly says we should do this. They didn't say, We are so certain. They say, it seems good. They say, it seems good to us. It seems good to the Holy Spirit. In verse um, 22, in verse 25, and in verse 28, the same phrase is repeated. So here's, here's what they're doing. Here's what they're doing. They're watching the way that God is at work. Then they're going back and seeking out the scriptures. God, how have you said you're going to do things? And what does it look like to align with your way and your heart as you say in your scriptures? And then what does a community of faith say? And then they pause long enough to ask the spirit of God, are we on the right track? And then they say, seems good. And we're stepping 
forward and we're moving forward. I would argue that even if there wasn't a clear voice, there certainly was a clear leading. And I would argue this is, that's often the way that God works in our lives as well, friends. That in the midst of interruption, the Spirit often gives invitation. And there's an invitation in front of you. And there's an invitation in front of me today. Not to be people who cancel, but to be people who converse. Not to be people who are stagnant, but who are strengthened. Not to be people who are stuck, but to be people who continue to grow. I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of community of faith that we find in Acts chapter 15 that says, oh, the very viewpoints, they're they're welcome. We're going to hold true to the scriptures. We're going to seek out what God's doing. We're going to listen well to each other, but we're going to hold love above it all. As I tried to just look through and summarize, okay, what, what would be the four key things that I would want to say to every person who calls Emmanuel Faith home in light of Acts 15? Here they are. If you, I'm going to go through them quick. If you want to take a picture, go ahead. Here's what they are. Listen openly. Listen openly. Second is dialogue honestly. Third, learn continually. Gosh, we're on a journey, you guys. Let's not stop. Let's keep learning. Let's keep growing. And then honor everybody. Here's what I'd argue. I'd argue that this is not so new. And it's not so normal. But it is the way of Jesus. And I believe that it's the way forward for you and for me as well. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I first want to just lift up the people in this room that are seeking you for guidance, for direction who have big decisions that they've got to make. Lord, I pray that they would see the way that your hand is working in their life, the story that you're writing in and through them. God, I pray that as they seek out your scriptures, that they would find wisdom to guide them and to lead them to be people who love you and who love others really well. And Lord, I pray that you'd surround them with a community that says we want to walk with you and we want to lift you up. And Father, for those who are in conflict with others, Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart as we interact with others. Help us to be a church that values people with whom we agree and disagree, that honors people who think very differently than we do, And Lord, I pray that that our tone and our approach would be not so new and not so normal. We don't want to just get in line with the way our culture is doing things. Lord, we want to lift your name high. And we're asking, would you work through us, please, as we do that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.